0: This is episode two of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, what's going on with Banana Republic?
1: Analytics keeping food fresh in grocery stores.
0: Apple thinks stores is a bad word.
1: IKEA goes upscale. Hmm.
0: hello everyone today is Friday August 19th and welcome to another episode of the brick and data podcast this is Todd Harris and I'm joined by Jose Chan so what we'd like to do in this podcast is to cover a few major topics in the retail space uh, often they're a little more balanced towards analytics or uh, technology talk we try to whenever possible um, but we also try to pick up on the on the news and stuff that's going on so We got a few good ones this week, and I think, you know, Jose, with your background, we never really went into your background, but you've got an interesting background um, from retail and working in the merchandising uh, area of retail, amongst some other areas in the operations side of retail, and uh, being, you know, a professor. So this, I think your insight in some of this stuff, just like we had in episode one, will be interesting, um, especially with this first topic here around uh, the gap and Banana Republic and what the heck is going on with them. I I can't wait to get your insight on what you think is going on because, you know, being the age that I'm at, which is just a touch over 40, um, the 80s and 90s for the Gap were just the heyday, right? I mean, if you weren't wearing Gap in the 90s, early 90s, I remember, and to some degree, you know, with your, your Gap flannel and all that, then you pretty much just weren't wearing clothes. (laughs) <laughs> but Cap flannel, you, you know, some memories, I know, I know. And you know what? I, I bet you they're, they're hoping for that same type of, uh, you know, revolution to come around for them again, because I mean, they, it seems like they need that. I mean, they, um, they aren't what they were, that's for sure, but that's okay. You know, retailers evolve and they've got quite the history and they're, they're one of the, they're one of the elders in, in the space when it comes to, uh, when it comes to retailers and uh, specific retailers with only a few brands, and uh, they, you know, they've been having some troubles. I mean, in 2011, they closed some stores, about 200, and last month they announced that they're closing another 175 stores. So they seem to think that closing stores and maybe ratcheting higher on the e-commerce side um, is the way to go. But it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, what are you seeing from what are you seeing from all this all this news on on Gap and Banana and their brands?
1: It's a good question, right? And I think, look, like you, uh, in my case being, I wish I could say a hair over 40, um, not, but... Close enough. Close enough. (laughs) Uh, Let's look back at their history. So, Gap founded uh, 1969, which is interesting because that is the same year that uh, Polo Ralph Lauren Corporation is founded, uh, or Ralph Lauren uh, as a company. And so, That was a company that we talked about last week, Ralph Lauren uh, Corp., and they've been having troubles, right? Uh, Gap, obviously, as we're talking about them because of their earnings, um, they're having troubles as well, and it's generational, right? And I think last week we touched upon a little bit about what's going on here. A couple of things are going on here. So their major divisions, uh, Gap Inc., um, include, of course, uh, Gap as its own brand – You have, obviously, as you mentioned, Banana Republic and, of course, Old Navy, which is their less expensive, let's say, more fast fashion. Gap is their middle-of-the-road, let's say, retail brand. And Banana Republic is their, let's say, a little bit more, in their view, contemporary brand. Mm -hmm. So what's going on here, Tad, at the top level is that they've lost a lot of their consumers, because of general trends in what fashion has become. In their day, a uh, heyday, if you will, there weren't large competitors like an H&M. There weren't these large competitors like a Zara, the fast fashion, who were often uh, direct competitors of let's say their Gap and Old Navy brands. And with the consumer tastes gravitating more towards seasonal fast fashion offerings, If you walk into a Gap store or a Banana Republic store, it still looks very, very – it's a little disjointed, if you will. Mm -hmm. So let's stick to one, Gap brand. Um, If you walk in there, khakis, great, staples. uh, But when you start getting away from the button-downs and the, uh, let's say, Oxfords and the other basic pieces, their fashion offering – with florals for women's wear, for example, doesn't always make sense in the store it's in. So I think what's been going on is you, you have places where they do have fashion, uh, but it, it's not really resonating with a, today's customer, right? That's used to buying J. Crew, right. For example. Uh, and interestingly enough, if you think about J. Crew, the success of old Navy, actually old Navy, here's a little, uh, fun fact for you. Old Navy, is named after a bar in Paris. And that division was started by Mickey Drexler when he was the, at The Gap. And it, it's interesting, that was successful for a while, but again, even a company like J. Crew, a little bit of a digression, has been having troubles lately. And again, it's because a lot of this classic overall clothing, again, going back to last week's podcast with Ralph Lauren, isn't resonating as much with consumers because other than the big fashion retailers, right. At the other end of the spectrum, Todd, you also have uh, up-and-coming brands like Bonobos uh, and a lot of other brands that are filling in, let's say, the the holes, if you will, uh, for consumers today. And that that's that's at the macro level what I see happening.
0: Yeah, it's those- it's uh-huh. it's really. I mean, I I wonder if it's also just boiling it down to <clears throat> that they're not listening. To what people want, almost you know, because um, there's a sign there when you've got you know specific to banana, which is the part of the gap that's being that's dragging down earnings the most, and perhaps isn't performing as well. You gotta wonder what they're looking at, you know, what are they paying attention to? Are they looking? Are they really looking at what their shoppers or what their the the folks that have been buying? you know, maybe banana dress shirts like me. Like I, I love going into banana I used to at least, um, and buying their, their button down dress shirts to wear to work. I love their designs and how they fit. Um, and I remember over the past, that past year or two, things changed a little bit. Things got a little weird, to be honest with you. Like the, some of the, the, the looks and the designs didn't match what I historically expected. From them, And that's, that's okay, because things change, right? I mean, fashion changes and all that, but you got to wonder what data they're looking at to make these decisions, if there's any data they're looking at to make these decisions, or if it's all just coming from um, what they think should be from a fashion perspective. So, and, I mean, when you look at their creative director that was there for a few years, a couple of years, and things during that time went south for Banana, and uh, they seem to have ditched that role permanently. So... Yeah, I just gotta wonder what they're doing and and what they're using for, for type of uh, any type of data or to understand what, what exactly these trends are and how do they adjust their you know their styles or assortments to, to match it or to, to do better.
1: That's a really good question, right? And I think um, you know, not getting deeply into analytics, but yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know uh, is the honest answer as to what they're using, but from what I know of other companies. From a design standpoint, uh, there's not a whole lot that they're using much more than gut feeling and maybe some basic merchandising of what sold last year. Uh, and a lot of it is, is the, at least from the design aspect, uh, for many companies, uh, it, it's just a, having a point of view and trying to figure out yeah. what might work from a macro trend level for their target consumer. Right. And that, that that's where the discrepancies come about a lot of the times and and it's a tough game because it's it's creative but with a, any one of these let's say brands within the Gap Inc corporation what's tough is that you're a mono brand. Yeah. So you have less room for error. What, what what do I mean? They're not like a multi-brand retailer like let's say a uh, Bonton or a Saks.
0: Right, your department or, store type,
1: right? <laughs> exactly. So so those uh, gals and guys essentially have the option of picking merchandise from a variety of vendors or brands uh, to stock their stores, right? And and it, it, if you think about it from a financial standpoint, it, it's you're optimizing. Essentially, your your gamble, your risk is minimized by having many brands. Here, your risk it, it's either high it, it's high risk, high reward. If it pays off, it pays off. And if it doesn't, as we're seeing, unfortunately, it's not doing as well as it should be. Uh, the business model that is uh, for Gap Inc. overall, it doesn't. And it, it, it's hard because you're buying from yourself. Right. And if you dig a little bit deeper, let, let's look at their sales, right? So the store closures, I think it makes sense um, in terms of their store closures, because after all, yes, they have too many stores given the retail climate that we have uh, overall, w- which is a tough one. Macy's, as we saw, uh, closed 100 stores recently as well. Mm-hmm. And that's just because there's too much exposure out there. And I think another question that we I, I would have is, is same-store sales even an important measure anymore, right? Because a lot of retailers have stopped showing same-store sales because if we look at the trend of what's going on across many different types of retailers, big box, specialty, apparel, hard goods, soft goods, et cetera, what's been going on is that the foot traffic into the stores uh, has gone down, right, compared to prior years, but the conversion rate has got up, gone up, which means that they're buying in-store, whether they use the store as a showroom, a warehouse, a uh, place to actually go shopping and looking for things um, is is uh, really what, what what's driving a lot of this, and a lot of business do is done online. So, although online is still a small portion of the overall pie, and it varies by retailer, we know the statistic, which is ten percent on average is of all revenues come from online. Again, varies by retail, varies by brand. Um, I think that the, it's blurring a little bit more. So with all of these things, it would make sense for them to close their stores. And you can't always look at same store sales because it's not the same as it was 10 years ago right. when there wasn't uh, as much of a footprint online as there is today.
0: Yeah. Even year over year is difficult. So, you know, we'll have to see how they adapt to that and, and adapt to the saturation of stores too. Right. I mean, it's, there's, there's so much more competition out there now. So they'll have to see how they, how they progress and and how, Gap and, in my specific interest, Banana Republic, uh, how they do. I'm hoping they, they come around maybe next quarter. We'll have to keep track. Keep our eyeballs on these guys.
1: Great. I'm with you. I'm a big fan of Banana.
0: <laughs> I do. I love their stuff. Well, it's most of their stuff, at least. We'll see what they do. See what they do. and Let's not get too fancy, guys. Keep it simple. Um, Analytics. All right, so let's get back to a topic of analytics now. So I, f- I ran over this yesterday, I think it was, and of course, it's um, IBM leading the way here with this one using analytics to help keep food fresh in grocery stores. So what, is the, what does that mean? What are they really doing here? So from what I was reading, from what I understand from this here, I was, it was on a website called foodqualitynews.com. I don't remember where the original article came from. But what they're doing is they're taking, they're using analytics to take the grocery scanner data. So just that point of sale scan, which obviously has information like you know the food type, maybe the where they sourced it from, uh, maybe a freshness date or something like that, or an original packing date or something like that. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but they're also taking information on known outbreaks, geolocated data and they're helping narrow it down faster using mass amounts of data. So using machine learning and analytics and all that good stuff to be able to take this data, crank through it, and they're using something called spatiotemporal data, um, which essentially is taking objects that are close in time and sp- or space and calling them similar. So an example of this, and <clears throat> when I was looking at what exactly that is, I found a nice slide set from... Um, from a uh, from a Stanford lecture class and it was very basic it was talking about what exactly is spatiotemporal data because I'm interested in understanding it based on what what IBM is trying to do here with uh, food freshness and grocery stores and how they're trying to kind of stamp out this problem of you know mass outbreaks of, of illnesses I mean mm-hmm. who, who wants to go and you know get rotten hamburger meat uh, when you don't even know it and end up getting sick and it could have been prevented if it if you known a couple of days uh, prior to that but they take concepts like, uh, for spatiotemporal temporal data and how they kind of aggregate this information together and make these assumptions on, you know, what food is fresh and what food isn't. Uh, there's a few examples of, of, this, of this meaning of objects that are close in time or space are similar. Things like uh, religion and race are strong predictors of voters' choices. So because of that, these are likely to be similar nearby region- regions. Um school quality is is a strong predictor of house prices. So nearby house prices belong to the same school district. Uh so they're making correlations there and you know they're hoping to kind of do that same thing, I think, with uh, with this at at grocery stores. And it's at the end the end goal, they're trying to shorten the investigation period and save people from getting sick. So it's kind of cool stuff, you know. It's it's interesting different ways that retailers and grocery store in this case are using analytics to change things. And in this case, it's to keep people healthier. You know, I found it really neat. Really, really neat.
1: I mean, I I think Todd to this, I mean, grocery overall has been using analytics more than other segments of the vertical retailer. That is Mm -hmm. apparel or other uh, segments of of the vertical retail. And and it's interesting that they're going this route and that makes a lot of sense, right? Especially when you think about it um, with food uh, how do you predict how if you're, you're, what the propensity of it is to go bad or have some sort of contamination? Mm-hmm. And that's a great, I think, way of using analytics, which is um, really more for the consumer. Rather than just pushing sales, uh, it, it's actually protecting consumers, which is a different, let's say, vantage point on the use of analytics, which I think is
0: fascinating. Yeah, it is really cool. And there's no doubt. I mean, it's using it's almost like it's taking this data from, you know, point of sale, which is obviously more for, okay, are we out of this food or are we we need more of this type thing? Kind of boring. Right. It's it's they're they're taking historically boring data and doing something really interesting with it to try to, you know, keep people healthy and keep people from eating bad stuff. So it's it's just goes to show you, right, the amount of data that's out there that retailers have on hand the ways it could be used you know with the right type of with the right type of uh, analytics on top of it are pretty cool and this is one really good example of it so
1: yeah you know. no, no, I would uh, certainly add to that yeah. which is I don't think it's just interesting I think it's extremely useful uh, especially with the, the, the amount of um, you know things that are possible nowadays with this global world uh, with our produce coming in from all parts of the world unbeknownst to us often uh, it, it, it's really an important thing.
0: Absolutely. We I mean, you, we don't want the the, the the zombie apocalypse starting from bad meat, right? So if we could keep that, you know, shortened down to you know to not happening, that would be nice, right?
1: I'm with you. I <laughs> I, I don't want to live through another zombie apocalypse. Right. Just, oh, I you've been through one already? Stuff. Oh God, it's awful. That's, <laughs> Maybe I, it was just a dream. I'm not uh,
0: sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh. So yeah, Apple. Um. Apple found its way into episode two here. They are getting a little fancy. With their with their verbiage, of course, and they are taking the word "stores" out of everything on their website and anything else that that you see. So, rest in peace, the word "stores" for Apple. Um, Read this on Mac Rumors and uh, apparently on Retail Dive, and uh, yeah, Apple's just taken the word "store" out of all their branding, and you know, it seems like they're trying to maybe remove some type of a label. Um, you know, that they're not just a retail store. They're trying to be holier than thou in some way. I, what do you think?
1: <laughs> well, I think, look, it, it goes with their whole ethos, their whole culture, right? I mean, if you think about, let, let, let's go back to their products first, and then we'll get into the retail piece in a second. Yeah. Uh, their products are all closed. So you can only use Apple with Apple. It's just been the mantra of the company from the founding, right? It was, and that's what caused it, to, let's say, in the 90s, uh, to, to not do so well because it wasn't as open as, let's say, um, in the PC wars, let's say. Uh, it was IBM and the PC that pretty much took over Mac space, even though Mac was better, this and that. It didn't quite fly. Yep. Then if you take that logic uh, into, you know, the Ron Johnson days when he was the head of retail, Uh, who is responsible for pretty much driving uh, the growth of the Apple retail segment along with Steve Jobs, uh, they created a lot of new terms, right? Again, uh, genius, the genius bar, right? So if you look on their store ads, (laughs) I mean, for for jobs, they look uh, for a genius. Um, I'm not sure if they call their sales associate a sales associate. They're so humble.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really they gotta work on that <laughs>
1: <laughs> or you know a store is not a store right it's apple how can it be a store i don't know it, it's the apple temple i I don't know
0: <laughs> the apple temple <laughs> i sure. like that <laughs> uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me and you know they you know like we always see right now when we go to their stores there's they're redoing a bunch from near me here i don't know if uh that's the same uh, where you are, I think they're in their major cities are going through and, 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 and gutting their stores and, and creating a new experience. And I get that. And you're just going to see the Apple logo on the, on the top of the store. There's not going to be, even in the stores, there's not going to be any reference to store. So even though you're going to be in a store, it's not going to be a store and we all have to get used to that. And they want to make it a, uh, more of a community type feel. So we'll have to see what happens. You know, maybe they'll start off in coffee, they offering coffee there and they'll, uh, I don't know, have little jug bands playing or something. I don't know, however they want to get. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that all turns out. Or maybe it's just more of an internal thing. But they did issue a an internal memo, you know, quote air quotes are on memo, uh, to all employees that the word store is going away. So we'll have to That's see what kind of repercussions come from using that word store. Well,
1: if you think about it, right, I mean, it, it, as crazy as it sounds, um, it may not be too far from where the future of retail, at least in-store brick and mortar, will go right. uh, with Amazon, right? Amazon um, will create stores and, you know, it has bookstores, but it will create stores that will have a non-traditional store feel. Uh, and there, there's talk and, I, and I've looked at different retailers, right? For example, there, there's a Samsung store uh, in the meatpacking dis- district in Manhattan that pretty much is more of an experience And that. They're selling things, but they're really not selling things. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example of many different types of, of, of places that would be typically called a store, mm-hmm. but, but can you call it a store, right? So maybe they're morphing and trying to use that, Mental model, if you will, to go into a different direction. I mean, there's been talks, and maybe in future podcasts we'll talk about this virtual reality being something that uh, can be used uh, in the retail, which is something uh, environment, which is something I did see at Samsung, where it, it, it's more experiential. Again, they're not they're selling you things, <laughs> but they're really
0: not yeah. selling you things, and you yep, put goggles it. on. They call it the what is it the 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 Samsung experience or the the Gear VR experience or something like that. Um, exactly. So that's yeah that's that's their that's their driver there, and it isn't you know, it isn't really a store. Of course, you can probably buy something, but yeah, it is it is the experience. So maybe you know Apple's going to take a piece out of uh, what Samsung has been doing there. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll, we'll, to we'll, see. we'll, to your point, we'll wait and see. Yeah, we will. We will. All right, topic for the last one. Uh, we're talking IKEA here. I'm a huge fan of IKEA. Not too much IKEA stuff, but um, <laughs> I actually built. A, you saw in our in our office um, at at Select, we I have a standing desk thing, and I built this hacky version of a standing desk, and it's all from IKEA pieces. And it's, it's if you look up like IKEA, I think it's IKEA standing desk hack. Uh, oh, it shows wow. you the parts and it's like 30 bucks but it's great you know ikea is so cheap and they have the, the, the stuff you need and that's how i made this weird looking you know table desk looking thing that you I see was when you come to in ask about that. yeah, yeah. that's interesting
1: yeah. you mentioned that I, I never knew that yeah uh, so this it was just always... built out of
0: random ikea parts but anyway <laughs> but that, that's how i look at them though and, and that's i think what they're trying maybe to change here and this is part of the news i think that that, that, that will, will give that away is that they're trying to change um, the quality maybe, or maybe their image um, going away from possibly that, that budget centric uh, reputation they have to something a little bit more upscale. So this, this is very interesting. I mean, they've got, they've, needless to say, I mean, they've got quite the presence. Um, I don't know about the online presence, but I tell you those stores, man, uh, hundreds of stores over, over, over 27 ish countries, Um, 36 billion in sales each year worldwide. So there's, there's, there's some power there and, uh, we'll see how they, how they move with that image, um, from, from being inexpensive and budget focused, you know, lots of college going to college shoppers, lots of maybe 20 somethings with their first or second apartment or even first home buyers wanting to fill their home out, um, with, with some, with some nice, but budget friendly furniture or, you know. Uh, bedroom, uh, bedroom furniture, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I think it's. Uh, we'll have to see what happens here. I mean, what, what do you think of that? Of this? Of what they're trying to do here, Jose? Is this even possible for them at this point, being so entrenched in one and you know, being being looked at a certain way?
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends on how they they go with this, right? So, yeah. it, it, it's it's boosting its quality, but does that also mean that it's going to boost its image? So they released a very, let's say general press release and it wasn't clear exactly how they were going to do this or a lot of questions were left unanswered. So, let's take this uh, piece by piece. So, if they're just boosting their quality, then they would have to maybe change their prices or maybe they're big enough, as you said, $36 in sales,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. that that wouldn't change. So, if it's just a quality thing, okay, fine. Uh, And no change to prices Don't think that's the case? Fine. Don't think that's the case. If if they're going to go upscale, right, and have a whole new line of things, and what happens with their budget consumers? And uh, who wants to walk away from whatever percentage it is of that $36 billion, right? It's kind of a hard thing to do. Um, So the only real way of going upstream, right, is to have a separate brand, It's easier, uh, and this is, you know, you could look at retail history and in practice, uh, and in just business history. It's easier to go downstream than it is to go upstream. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a crate and barrel could have a CB2, right? Less expensive. Crate and barrel is the higher end uh, CB2. Let's go to the Gap Inc. You could have, indeed, a Gap brand Mm -hmm. and a less expensive Old Navy. That works. You go downstream. Is that even possible?
0: Old Navy is pretty cheap. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't know but that. Yeah, that that was the nature. But I yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, I mean they're but they're going yeah, like you said, they're going the other direction, and this is it's going to that's, be challenging for them.
1: That's tough because you're really leading <clears throat> consumers, and right. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, we're talking business and retail. So what is a consumer's willingness to pay? Their WTP, uh, and how much will an incremental change in let's say suggested retail price change the number of re, uh, of end consumers that purchase? Uh, that's the key question. So yeah. really, if, if, big if, because again, uh, still new, uh, and I'm not sure that IKEA is so clear of how they're going to enact this, which is why they're a little bit, let's say, nebulous about their overall strategy. Uh, if they were to do this, then, and prices were to go up over a certain level, Right. Uh, and affect that cons- and consumer willingness to pay, then what needs to happen is you have to have a separate division, separate and apart to not kill your core business. Because if it gets too confusing in terms of pricing, it'll turn consumers off, right? And sure. the perception becomes very, very uh, skewed across the board, which is what you certainly don't want as a brand. As a brand, you want a single view of who you are as a brand or what you are as a brand, to your end consumer. And once that is tampered with, it just doesn't fly. And it, it comes to price in this price sensitive retail environment that we're in. Again, you're going to lose consumers uh, that would have otherwise purchased with you, but will not
0: purchase with you. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, but I, I would just add to that that if, if they do do this, uh, they better keep the meatballs that they have because <laughs> those are just fantastic. <laughs> But I guess that maybe that wouldn't belong with an ultra-chic, ultra, ultra chic high-end Italian uh, store, but we'll have to see.
1: Well, then maybe you have your meatballs with some red wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. That would get interesting. You know, wine always helps the shopping experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is the show. We can call that an episode two. And thank you for listening, everybody. And Jose, thank you again. Uh, appreciate your insight with this stuff. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, you can email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. And you can now find us up on iTunes. You can also find us on Google Play Music. And you can also find us on SoundCloud. You'll also get us in a few other areas too. I'll announce those the next time, probably on Stitcher and a few others. So uh, definitely give us a subscribe and a review. We'd appreciate it very much. And until episode three, we will see everyone later. And Jose, have a good rest of your day.
1: Thanks, Todd. Bye, everyone.